And if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 20. If you want to join me there and just picking up where we left off last week and continuing to walk through this incredible gift of the book of the book of the Bible. And uh, one of the reasons that I love where we're at today, a lot of reasons, but number one is it is another reminder that what God says is true and that what God says is trustworthy. And that no matter what, and no matter what circumstances that we find ourselves in or what is happening around us, God's word and his promises are true and they're faithful 100% of the time. And in Acts chapter 20, it is the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen all the way along. At the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had gathered his disciples there with him. And he was soon to ascend to the Father's right hand. Uh, he would be sending the Holy Spirit. But as he, is, as he is about to ascend, he gathers those disciples together. And he tells them, he says, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And exactly what Jesus said was going to happen is exactly what was happening. And it did not happen, uh, certainly by, by, by the way they thought probably it was going to happen. But rather it was through God using the instrument of persecution that the gospel moved outside the city gates and into the world. And in Acts 20, at that time, the, the ends of the earth. And so through Acts, Jesus said... You're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And so from that mountainside, they went to the upper room. Might have been the same upper room where they shared that final meal with Jesus on the night of his betrayal. But there's about 120 of them that are gathered there. And for 10 days, they have a prayer meeting. 10 days, they have this prayer meeting. Their prayers go up. The Holy Spirit comes down to indwell and empower them to be witnesses for Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching the gospel. Thousands come to faith in Christ. They hear the good news of Jesus, how Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, salvation, forgiveness, peace with God comes only through a relationship with Jesus. And he's preaching Jesus, which is amazing. Because not too far away, we would have found Peter not only denying Christ three times, but, but yet... Um, he was cowering, cowering in fear uh, because who knows, he might be next. They may come after him. And so from seeing Peter there to seeing Peter in Acts chapter 2, what happened? The Holy Spirit happened. <laughs> the Holy Spirit indwelling him and empowering him to be a bold witness. To be a bold witness. And so he shares Thousands come to faith in Christ, repent of their sin, trust Jesus, they're baptized. As you continue to walk through Acts, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, through God, God's grace, God's touch, God's healing, a lame beggar comes to faith, and 5,000 more people come to faith in Christ through Peter's message. Acts 4, 5, and 6, the early church continues to share and they're sharing the message of the gospel. They're sharing the hope of the gospel. And this is no longer kind of 
just this uh, gospel for, you know, for, for this place, this time. This, this gospel is for the world and for all times. And so the gospel is going out by Acts 8. There is intense persecution. This is where we would read about the, the first Christian martyr, which was Stephen. He, he was martyred for his faith. And it was through that God uses that. That death not in vain, but rather serves as an instrument that the gospel will now push outside of the city walls and into Judea and into Samaria. By Acts chapter 17, this early church is now known as a people who are turning the world upside down. And by Acts chapter 19, while Paul is serving in Ephesus, planted a church there, was there for several years as long as he was ever in one place... The Bible says that the entire, that all of, of Asia had heard the gospel. Historians estimate that that would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 8.2 million people hearing the gospel of Jesus within a matter of a few years. And so Acts chapter 20 is now where we are and Paul is on his third and his final missionary journey. He is on the home stretch of his ministry. Paul wants to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to Jerusalem for several reasons, but, but one is because he wants to get back and celebrate Pentecost. He also wants to get back because he has, through the Macedonian churches, he has taken up a love offering from all of these churches that were started, planted, and growing in Macedonia. And some of those brothers went along for the journey and they want to get to Jerusalem so they can take to Jerusalem to the church that is impoverished and struggling to take a financial gift to them. And so he wants to get there for that. But then he also, he loves the people of Jerusalem. I mean, this is where Paul spent a lot of time. He spent a lot of time. And, and so he had a deep passion, not only for the early church, but also for the, that, that people group, the, the Jews there, of which he was very much a... Pharisee of Pharisees, very zealous for the law. Like he longed for those that he was so close to, to know this gospel, to have a relationship with Jesus. And so he wants to get to Jerusalem. But before he gets on a boat, he wants to have a meeting with the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And he, he wants to make the most of his time. So he's not going to go to Ephesus. Rather, he's going to go to Miletus and he's going to send for them to meet him there because he's making the most of his time. Now, what we're going to see is not only a reunion, but it is a, it's basically a pastor's conference. So um, many of you in your occupation, you serve in different roles, different ways. Most of those occupations, there's some form of continual education or, or, or licenses or conferences that are all designed to help you grow in that area of vocation that you're in. And, and so, so what we're going to see is a pastor's conference. Now I don't, I don't want us to hear that and not kind of check out be like, well, I'm not a pastor. So can you kind of speed through this? <laughs> we can, we can kind of go, no, there's so much here for us because what Paul is going to pour into these pastoral leaders the hope is that they're going to pour into their local churches all over the place and the gospel will keep moving forward. And so this is all about gospel-driven ministry. What, does, what are characteristics of a gospel-driven 
ministry. And Paul is going to walk us through that because we want to be a gospel-driven church. That we never want to lose sight of why we have been rescued, why we have been saved. The glory of God and the mission of God. You see it all through the Bible. And what's interesting here is in Acts, this is the only message you will see that is to a group of Christians. Like only. Like just about every message you read about in Acts, there's some Jews, there's Greeks, uh, there's maybe some authorities involved. But here, this is the only message we see in the book of Acts where it is specifically for church leaders. And so he brings them in close. And in verse 17, chapter 20, the Bible says this. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Oh, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple characteristics of a gospel-driven ministry, which and hopes is, is the same characteristics of a gospel-driven church, which the hopes is made up of a gospel-driven people, individuals as the church. So the first characteristic is courageous investment. Courageous investment. Gospel ministry is relational. It's relational. Gospel ministry does not exist in isolation. Rather, it always involves people. It always involves others. And in this gospel ministry, Paul, for the past three years, didn't just preach the word and he didn't just teach the word, but he lived the word. He lived life with his people, with this people. I mean, I'm sure there were maybe settings, not necessarily like this, but where he's preaching the word and they're around. And there would be other times where he's teaching the word and, and people all around. But there, no doubt there were meals that were shared together. Um, no doubt that there were late night conversations uh, where they just needed to talk through some, some things that were going on in their lives. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there was some, some cutting up and some laughter happening as they were getting together and kind of Man, do you remember when and those kinds of stories? But he lived his life among them. He lived his life. Paul never isolated himself. He always had a team of people. And if he was isolated, he would send for somebody to come be with him. Paul was humble. He says, in all humility, he was there. He was humble. He had a big heart. He didn't have a big head. He loved people. And if you serve in ministry, and we see this through tears and trials, if you serve in ministry any amount of time, in any way, it doesn't take long to experience trial and to experience difficulty and to experience pain. And the, he did. He did. I, I think of, the, I think of the, the word over in Romans chapter 8, which is one of my, fa is my favorite chapter of the Bible. But Romans 8, 28 says this. He says, 
And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And what's unique, maybe not unique, is oftentimes we quote that verse when all things aren't going right. (laughs) You know, so we go to that because, God, we need to trust you with this, even though this doesn't make sense. And so so we, we trust Him, that God uses everything. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a tear. He doesn't waste a struggle. And he uses that to grow us closer to him and to refine us in our faith. Uh, One of my mentors taught me this way of praying and I've clung to it and have often prayed this. But I take the promise of Romans 8, 28 and I, I pray this. I say, God, I want to thank you in advance as if you've already worked this out for good. Because I know you will. I know you will to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. So it's hard right now, but I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to say thank you in advance. And so what he is, Paul is courageously investing. He did not shrink from declaring the gospel. It's that ability to face danger and difficulty with resolve. Like, Like no fear Because we know who it is we're serving. That's the type of resolve that Paul had. And perhaps even maybe that's the encouragement today. There's going to be several things the Holy Spirit might use to to teach us. But perhaps one of the areas or, or one of those areas that God wants to grow us in is courage. It's boldness. I love the prayer of the early church back in Acts 4, 29. It's been a while since we were there. But they were gathered there and they said, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So he not only courageously invested in in the large group, but he also invested house to house in the small groups. And so courageous investment, we see that, but we also see responsible stewardship. Responsible stewardship, verse 22, the Bible says this. And now behold, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so Paul has set his heart on Jerusalem. If you look at the life of Paul and you look at the life of Jesus, obviously very unique, but yet there are some similarities. Jesus Christ, the God man has come for a mission to seek and to save the lost. Paul has been rescued for a mission to share this gospel of Jesus, the Messiah to those who are lost. Jesus has set his face on Jerusalem because that will be the place where he will once and for all complete the work that is necessary to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us and to have peace with God and ultimately be resurrected from the dead. Paul, similar, though he he can't do anything to save anybody, uh, but rather he must go to Jerusalem because that's God's plan for his life to take this gospel and continue to go to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem. The mark of Jesus is going to be, the path is going to be marked with suffering. And the path for Paul is one that is marked with suffering. In Acts chapter 19, 
Paul said this, he said now in verse 21, he said, now after these events, which was a riot in Ephesus, by the way, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. So he brought his little S spirit under submission to the, the big S, the Holy Spirit. Because this was God's plan for his life. But it wasn't necessarily a, a, going to be a comfortable journey. But rather, it will be a journey marked with joy and purpose. Because he's fulfilling what God made him to do. The Lord might not lead us to comfortable places. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are surrendering, surrendering to his will. So verse 24 Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I, am, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So we see this responsible stewardship. Stewardship means to steward is to be a manager. And so it's this idea that you have been entrusted with a responsibility. And because you have been entrusted with that responsibility, you are a manager. You are a steward of what has been entrusted to you. Paul is in this text, he is a steward of the gospel ministry that God had entrusted him. But here's the thing, all of us who have been rescued by God's grace, he has gifted us with calling and gifting and passion and experiences. And he uses all of that to further the gospel for his glory. And so, so we must be mindful that God has given he's an entrusted us he stewarded with us this calling to make him known in our worlds and so he continues to go on as a steward of the gospel and he doesn't sit back and hope that his buddies will do it for him i, I think about that like you know i mean i've i've been there i've prayed prayers like there's somebody in my world that i know um, needs, you know, whatever it might be, but you just kind of wish somebody else like the Lord would put it on their heart to, to go and share with them where we pray for circumstances to arise that will uh, cause them to lean and seek the Lord and all of this, all the while just hoping all that works out from a distance. But for Paul, Paul, was, Paul felt a personal responsibility and stewardship for those around him. And so even for us, that by God's grace, in a healthy way, that there is a sense of responsibility for what God has entrusted to us, the mission that he has entrusted us to care for. There's a, a study, me and a couple guys are going through, and it talks about the crowd cloud, which is kind of hard to say, crowd cloud. All right, and here's the thought behind this is, you, you, like as the body of Christ, we gather on Sundays and here we are. But yet, uh, each of you, and, and this is the, like an estimate, so some more, some less, and it's not all equal or whatever, but the, the, a person on average has about 120, we'll just say relationships. 
Okay, 120 people, some way connected to your life in one way or another. And so this idea is that as we gather around the word, that the word isn't just for us, but it's also how might the Holy Spirit take this word and how he may want to use it in those 120-ish relationships that are out there, literally impacting thousands for the glory of God. As a pastor, and I I, honestly, y'all, I still can't believe that God has called me to serve in this role. And, 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 and all of us as believers that he allows us to serve him. But in a very real way, there is a responsibility that we have for our community. For our community to know Jesus. For those surrounding communities that we live in to know Jesus. That those workplaces that we find ourselves in know Jesus. That in our households, that God has stewarded to us and trusted us with to Know Jesus. And so we see this responsibility that he has. And then he says, for the whole counsel of God. So in other words, like, you know, the, the, the plan for the disciple is not just to lock in on this, this part of God's, uh, God's word and God's instruction, but rather like the whole thing. The whole thing. And all of us have those areas probably of the Bible that we enjoy uh, maybe more so than others or ones we kind of jump to or want to jump to, but, but, but yet Paul is, is, is faithfully preaching the whole counsel, all of God's word. And so that's one of the reasons we don't always preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we just did a becoming series that was a little bit different. So we sprinkle those in, but for the most part, that is, that is why we walk through the word through books. We went through Colossians last year and, and now walking through the book of Acts and The reason why is because as you start in chapter one and you move to chapter two and you move to chapter three, you end up landing in places that you wouldn't typically, you know, say like, hey, let's let's jump in there today. Uh, But but God's faithful because he uses all of his word. He uses all of his word to guide us and shape us. And so we see this gospel driven ministry being marked by courageous investment, responsible stewardship, but also an awareness to the war. Now he's kind of making a transition a little bit in his message to his leadership there. But in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care or shepherd for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one. And there it is again with tears. He loved his flock. He loved people. He loved them so much. And he did not want them to leave, live naively that everything is just going to be great. <laughs> but rather there is a war. We are in a spiritual war. This war is not flesh and blood. It is spiritual in nature. And so times we want to make it about flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual war. And he says, okay, let me, let's walk through an awareness of this war. And he starts with us. Number one, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. In other words, like, 
I don't think any of us like talking about the broken things in ourselves. <laughs> um, but rather, that's exactly where Paul starts. It's exactly where Paul starts. The language he uses is as a soldier that is camped out, keeping watch over what's going on. And it's this, it's this vigilance that is like, hey, be careful, be watchful. Don't fall asleep because if you fall asleep, that might be the very thing that overwhelms and allows the enemy in. So he's saying, watch, watch your lives. The, the language there speaks of a protective watcher. And so God help us if we allow things into our lives that distract us from the glory of God and that we would be sensitive to that. Be aware of that. Be aware. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. All works in progress. Always will be. But yet by his grace, he will be faithful to lead us and to guide us. And so we must. And so that's why investing in our love relationship with God is so important. It's so important. Investing in a relationship with God. Henry Blackaby, we're walking through a study called Experiencing God. But I, lo I love what he says this. He says, until your personal relationship with God is right, nothing else quite will be. And so we need to focus on our relationship with the Lord. The church has been bought with his blood. It's his church. Belongs to him. Purchased, bought with his blood. So watch ourselves. Watch yourselves. But also, second, be aware of outside attack. So Ephesus was, had all kinds of schools of philosophy and like just a very, uh, at least in the way of, of, of religion and mythology, you had all these philosophies that were circling around. And, and at times those would uh, strive to infiltrate the church and with that kind of intermingle and take secular ideas and plant them as gospel truth. But we must protect the gospel at all, 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 at all, at, at, with all of our power. We got to protect this gospel message because people can strive to come in and twist that message from the outside. I, I saw one study from Barna. Uh, he read this over the weekend, but he said uh, Barna study showed that nearly half of millennials. So that's like 1980 to 1994-ish. But said this, a study showed 47%, so nearly half, say that it is wrong to evangelize others to your religious faith. That it's not just that they don't want to do it, it's that they think it is wrong. And it is believed that Generation Z is even higher. And so that's not pointing fingers, that's just the reality of conversations that are happening out there. Uh, because as long as all truth is subjective, then there is a lack of respect for the absolute and authoritative truth. And I've said this many, many times, but we must make sure that the volume of the Holy Spirit applying God's word to our hearts is the loudest voice that we have. Because what can happen is that we can find ourselves giving our hearts and our minds, find ourselves giving way into the cultural voice when the voice of God is the most important voice that we can have and hear in our lives. And so we need to be aware of the outside attack, but also be aware of the inside attack. 
Paul is calling for accountability. There must be accountability within the church. Must be, in this case, specifically accountability within the teaching of the word. And so wherever the word is taught, that there's accountability that is built in to that word. That, that it is very easy to hear things that sound really biblical, but maybe are not biblical. For example, and, and I've, we've all heard these at some point. Perhaps we've been the one that have said them. Hey, we're all broken people, right? We're all broken. We're going to do broken things. But, but, but it could be, it has been said, God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody want to testify? <laughs> I mean, just ask Job. I mean, there, there will be things that will be way more than we can handle. But yet it will be in those moments that we come to the very end of ourself and our ability that we understand that it will be only by God's grace and God's ability that we can move forward. It has been said that God helps those who help themselves. It's not there. <laughs> Matter of fact, like we can't do anything about our sin and to pay for our sin. So we're in really big trouble if, 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 if God's waiting on us to help ourselves before he's going to help us. He's the, he's the only way. He's the only way. It's been said money is the root of all evil. Money causes a lot of issues and arguments and challenges, but it's not the root of all evil. Jesus does says you can't serve two masters. You will serve one and despise the other. But rather sin is the root of all evil. Pride is the root there. And so we must align our hearts to the word. My grandmother growing up said can't have nothing nice. <laughs> and, and it was like she said it so much. It was like, you know, that must be in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's, you know, she's like can't have nothing. Uh, but it seems like it should be there. But, but the thing is, it's like if we're not in tune and with the word and soaked our hearts in the word, these things, we can be susceptible even from the inside. Well-meaning, Jesus-loving folks saying things that aren't in alignment with Scripture. So Paul's calling them to accountability. And so we must move the gospel forward. How courageous investment, responsible stewardship, be aware to the war and also, we are sustained and powered by grace. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. Praise God that it's not up to us. Praise God that it's not up to our ingenuity. Praise God it's not up to our ability to know everything and fix everything. And to be 100% perfect all the time, like none of that works. We operate in the grace of God. Verse 32 says, and now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able, I love it, able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And right here, Paul brings back into focus the two uh, essentials as we gather as a church. He mentioned it back in Acts 6. He said, we must give ourselves, devote ourselves to the preaching of God's word and to prayer. And here it is again. We must commend, we commend you to God. What's that saying? He's saying, we, I pray for you. I pray for you. We pray for one another. We commend one another to God. We are praying for one another. And then he says, not only prayer, but the word of his grace. And so you see prayer and the word sustains us, 
sustains the church. It's the priorities of the church, but it is by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. It's God's grace. I love what Paul David Tripp said. He said, grace really does rescue us from us. I can do all things through Christ, through his strength. All kinds of definitions of grace. Y'all may have heard many of them, but one of my favorites, grace is strength to obey. It's the strength to obey. No matter what, it's the strength to obey His grace sustaining us. Amazing Grace, the song, says this, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace that will lead us home. We are sustained by God's grace. We live in God's grace. We rest in His grace. We move in His grace. And then in verse 33, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, speaking of his own, minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. I love Paul's work ethic. I love how he was... He no doubt had times, rhythms of work and rest. We need rhythms of work and rest. Uh, But when it was time to be about work, he was about work. The Father's work. And so Paul said this, he quotes Jesus. If you got a red letter Bible, those letters are red. It says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You're like, well, I don't remember seeing that one in the Gospels. But John said this towards the end of his gospel. John 21, 25 said, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Paul had this intimate relationship with the Lord. And it was by his grace that he continued moving the gospel forward in the mission. In verse 36, he said, And when we had said these things, He knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him and being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Farewells can be emotional. Farewells can be exhausting. Farewells can be, perhaps in this world, the hardest thing that you will go through, that we will experience. But I love the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus, that though we may say farewell, it will only be for a little while. Because as believers, we will spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And there's one more, one more gospel characteristic of a gospel driven ministry that I want to share. I don't think it made it to the notes, but it's simply this gospel driven ministry is all about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. He's our only hope. I love, I love that about Paul. For Paul, it was never about him. Like church was never about him. Teaching was never about him. Um, leading a prayer time was never about him. Helping someone in need was never about him. It was never about a personality. It was never about a program. It was always and only about Jesus. And I love what we see here. But though it was so hard for that, those Ephesian elders, Paul basically said this, hey church, hey guys, hey leadership, wolves are gonna come in and attack, but I gotta go, see y'all later. <laughs> and he gets on a boat and he goes to Jerusalem. And, and, and what I love about it, Paul wasn't like, oh, I gotta stay here. Because how are they going to make it without me? And how are they going to keep moving on without me? God, I know what you got going on right there. But look, man, look at the tears. Look at the, they need me here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to stay put. But instead, Paul, in weeping and tears, probably, and, and, and will not see you again. I will see you again, but I will not see you again on this, on this planet. And he's leaving and he's just told them about the wolves and be aware and all of that. And then he, they, they, they kneel down and they have a prayer time and they walk him to the boat. And he is moving forward in the gospel mission that God had for his life. And so may by God's grace, we be mindful that whether what it is, whatever we call ministry or whatever our ministry is, or whatever God has us doing, or whatever, that we are careful to, to always see that through the lens of, but we have been bought with his blood, and that it's his ministry and not our ministry, and that we live lives completely yielded to him. Paul said this in Romans eleven thirty six. He said, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. He just basically summed it all up right there, didn't he? To him, for him, from him. There's no other way to, to get anything else in there. I mean, it's all about him. Why? Because he never got over the fact that God pursued him. And he never got over the fact that God rescued him. And he never got over this purpose that God had rescued him to steward what he had placed in his life to keep moving the gospel forward. So for us as believers, no matter where we find ourselves or what we find ourselves doing or whatever, may we never forget the fact that God pursued us. Think about Paul was Saul before this. Saul was not on his way to worship Jesus, <laughs> but rather he was radically saved. God chased after him, rescued him and has a purpose for him. God has chased after you. He has rescued you and he has a purpose for his life. And in that, the gospel of Jesus is front and center the whole time. And so as we pray, it could be, there could be different ways that this message that the Holy Spirit would in, encourage you uh, I know for me, it's like, where do I start? <laughs> you know, there's just, there's so much, but, but, but God's faithful. Like he's faithful and he doesn't just put us out there to say, figure it out on your own. It's in his strength and his wisdom and his power. And so it could be, it could be just the courage part. 
Like that could be it. it. There could be like a timidity about sharing our faith or being too open or, 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 or kind of when we feel led to kind of like, hey, can I pray for you? I know I don't really know you, but can I, like whatever that might be, maybe it's courage. Or maybe it's as being a part of a faith family, maybe you have not quite discovered that, that ministry that God wants to use you for. And so we would love to help you discover and walk through that. It can look all kinds of different ways. But through it all, God guides us through His Word and through prayer, and He is our focus. So I want to pray for us, and we just want to have a time of response. And in this time, I want you to please feel complete freedom, okay, during this time. That we'll have pastors here. If we can pray for you, we would love to pray for you. If you would desire or want to come pray at the altar, please come and pray at the altar. If you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then, then by God's grace, the gospel has come to you perhaps again today. And Jesus is saying that come to me all ye who are weary, I will give you rest. You can't fix your sin, I can't fix my sin, only he can transform our hearts. And so it's understanding that we're sinful and that we need His grace and we need Him as our Savior. And we change our mind about our sin and we turn toward Him and we place our faith and trust in Him and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection, proving He alone is the only one who has the power to forgive sin, to grant us peace with God and to live on purpose for His glory and for His mission. And so may we be responsive to His leadership. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing to be here and to read this passage of Scripture. God, thank you for the opportunity to have a front row seat to a pastor's conference that happened a long time ago. But yet in it, we see, God, that you are the focus and that you are the priority. You have preeminence, as your word says. That God, that there is a very real war that we find ourselves in. And God, that is in the midst of this, God, that we would discover that we move and operate and live in grace, your grace. And God, in those areas of our lives that are, are calling, you are calling us to take a step of faith, whatever that looks like, God, that we do not go about that in our strength. And our ingenuity and our power and our pride, we go about it in your grace, your strength to obey. God, help us to be a people who are obedient to you. And God, may we be a gospel-driven people, making you known in the city, in the community, in the neighborhood, in the workplace that you have planted us. God, we are to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. God, may we honor you with it. And Father, for anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.